Talking Shop with Teresa and Bree, the show where we dish out tips and advice for the mystical business owners and service providers of the world. So you might be thinking, what is a mystical business owner? Well, if you work as a tarot card reader like me, or an astrologer, Reiki healer, intuitive counselor, oracle medium, you know, any kind of sacred arts, um, if that's part of your profession, we're talking about you. And I'm Teresa, and my co-host, hey. Hey, everyone. I'm Bree. I'm so happy to be here with all of you again in 2017. So we have both been employed, self-employed sacred artists running our own businesses for eons, a very, very long time. We know what goes into running a successful business. And we know how much heart, grit, and hustle it takes to get your business afloat and keep things rocking along. So Teresa and I do this show together once a month because we love sharing the business strategies that we've learned over the years, and we love seeing our fellow mystical entrepreneurs thrive and succeed. Absolutely. And, you know, we've been doing this now. I think this is year five, correct? That's right. Year five. We're going on year five here, and in each episode of Talking Shop, what we do is we love to tackle a different topic, you know, one that's going to be really helpful to anybody who's employed in any sort of metaphysical uh, metaphysical business, and we love featuring really super special guests, and we have an incredibly special guest to start out our year. We're going to be talking about the imposter complex with none other than Tanya Geisler. Hi, Tanya. Hello, darlings. So good to be here. Oh, my goodness. We are so excited to have you here. And for anybody who's not familiar with Tanya Geisler, I I don't know how you couldn't be. She is like the person that she's known for the imposter, for talking about the imposter complex. She's a leadership coach. She helps women like myself, and I've done some work with Tanya to really figure out how to step into that spotlight with confidence. And you can find her at tanyageisler.com. So I want to thank everybody who's listening in live. I want to thank you for tuning in, and we're going to get this show started. So, Bree, let's go ahead, and why don't you start off with some questions for Tanya? I will. I am delighted to. Tanya, we're so happy to have you on the show. And I think probably the best place to start is can you just explain what the imposter complex is for those members of our audience who may not be familiar with it? Absolutely, absolutely. So so the imposter complex is that experience that I had when both of you were talking about how great I am. That's what showed up, right? <laughs> Immediately it was like, oh, wait a minute, who, me? Oh, yeah, that's right, that is me. This is my work in the world. So um, it is that experience that you have where you feel like – you're a fraud, that it's just a matter of time before they, whoever they are, find out that you're not supposed to be here. Um, and to back it up and give it a little more uh, historical context, it was the imposter phenomenon was the term that was coined by clinical psychologist Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes back in 78. I'm a big fan of attributing my teachers. And they coined it the imposter phenomenon. It was this experience of feeling like an imposter. They were working with high-functioning, high-achieving women, and they noticed that these women seemed to be totally, completely incapable of internalizing their success. 
they, you know, they chalked it up to luck or fluke or timing or having somehow managed to deceive somebody that they're better or smarter than they actually are. Their failures, on the other hand, these women were more than capable of internalizing those, you know, that their accomplishments, their awards, nope, those were just, those were attributed to factors well outside of their hands. Uh, so uh, we, you'll often hear it called the imposter syndrome. That's technically not correct because that, um, it's, not, it's not a clinical diagnosis. It is an experience. It's a complex and it's something that happens to the very, very best of us. Mm. So, you know, then how would you say that having this imposter complex, because I'll, I'll tell you, I, and, and you know from, you know, what we've talked about too, it's something I've certainly struggled with. Yeah. Um, you know, so how about you explain to our audience uh, how the imposter complex could affect their business potential or their potential as leaders in our, in our industries? Yeah, okay. So much to say here. So the first thing I always have to start with is the bit of good news that the, the imposter complex shows up with. Okay, so if you're experiencing the imposter complex in any way, shape, or form, the great news is that it means that you are high-functioning, high-achieving, high-aspirational, and you have some really strong values of mastery, excellence, and integrity. Okay, that's the really good news. And the second bit of really good news is that if you feel like a fraud, it is unlikely that you are a fraud. Okay, actual frauds <laughs> don't feel like frauds. Actual imposters don't feel like imposters. Okay, so like let's just like just let's diffuse that. Um, but where it does show up though, when we're sort of in that doubt and that. Um, Mm, you know, I can't because I'm about to be found out and then I will be, re you know, the, the, the tribe's going to kick me out. It shows up in all sorts of different ways, but where it drives me nuts is when I see it holding people back from their mm -hmm. full potential. And there are six mm -hmm. attributes that I, you know, I, I've been saying this a lot lately, so like, forgive me, Teresa, in particular, if you've heard me say this before, but do you remember the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Yes. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, right? If you remember the dad, the one with the Windex, and he has this ability, doesn't matter what the <laughs> word is, he brings it back to the Greek origin. Yes. Even if it doesn't actually have a Greek origin, like a, like kimono. This is me and the imposter complex. It's really natty and annoying for people around me. But I can I can thread back perfectionism, um, procrastination, comparison, people pleasing, leaky boundaries, diminishment. All of these have links to the imposter complex. Every last one of them. So this is why, I, you know, like my, like I, my, my cheeks are hot talking about it because it is everywhere. And so in all of these behavioral traits where we, that we keep ourselves from activating on our brilliance, activating on our genius, uh, really putting our work out there in a really meaningful way, it's extremely painful, and I can and I can thread it back to the imposter complex. And I mean, so it, it shows up in a myriad of ways, but for the most part, it it really just it stops us. It just stops us because we don't want to be found out. Um, and so all of these attributes that I talk about, they're actually, they're double binds. They keep mm -hmm. us from activating and then they also uh, further entrench us in the sense of imposterhood. So I'd like to talk mm -hmm. for a moment, Bree. Mm -hmm. um, you know, has there ever been times where you found yourself struggling with this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think 
if I understand the way that Tanya is talking about it, it sounds like the real question would be like, when do you not experience this, right? Mm. <laughs> when are you? When, when are you not under the influence of this? Very much so. Um, you know, one I can one time in particular where I really I feel like I came face to face with this for the first time was when I went to college because I was the first person in my family to go to college. And I had always done really well in school, but I didn't know anything about college. Like I was raised in a family where there was just, you know, like just basic terms like undergrad, graduate. Like I didn't really, I had no familiarity with those. And so I went off my awesome liberal arts college and I was with all of these other people who, you know, had come from families and they all had gone to college. And I was just like, huh. Okay, <laughs> like I don't think I'm supposed to be here, but it also became really clear that, you know, what whatever that story was, I was here and I and I had to do the absolute best that I could, and so I was I was going to do it, and you know, and I would say it took really like two and a half years of kind of living with that in the back of my mind before I found ways to uh, <clears throat> go through it. I would say or like turn the volume down. So definitely I am I am familiar with this. I get this. And what she said at the beginning, Tanya, what you said about you will externalize your success and you'll internalize your failure. I so I so do that. Like I'm so like, oh, right place, right time. Like I got really lucky there, you know. And so like if there's a failure, I'm like, oh, that was all me. So I, I get it. Totally get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Tanya, I'd love to hear some examples, too, of maybe a time when you were really struggling with the imposter complex. Again, I think sometimes when people have living examples, like what Bree just gave, uh, it helps them to also understand how this might show up on a personal level. I love stories, too. Do you have a story that you could share? Sure. I mean, you know, I'll just I'll tell you that one of my ongoing struggles, you know, so, so I love what Bree shared because really there's this yeah. place of – this experience of I'm, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. And I talk about there are 12 lies. That there are 12 specific lies that it likes to show up and tell us over and over and over. We, we, we play them over and over. And for me, you know, university was a, was, is a great example for me. I really, it's that when you don't feel you quite belong here and you don't quite belong there and you're really trying to find your place, I'm a shapeshifter. So my tell is I, I'm a people pleaser. So that's my um, imposter complex tell. So I got to make sure that everyone likes me. It's really mm. important that people like me. Mm. That's how I fit in. But guess what happens? This is one of those double binds. If I get opportunities, it's not because I'm capable. It's not because I'm brilliant. It's not because I'm the best of it. It's just because they like me. Mm. Uh, so this, <laughs> right, shows up all the time. This is a coping mechanism that I have, but then, you know, then it, 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 it turns on itself. So this is a, this comes up for me all the time. Um, you know, every, every last beautiful invitation that I have, uh, fretted and sweated and, and created and manifested and preyed upon. And, and then when I get it, 
oh, it's just because they like me, not because I'm really capable or the best person for the mm. job, right? So, like, so it's, it comes up for me all the time. So that's probably, for me, the, the, the chronic one that I continue to work with. Um, the perfectionism, mm, I think I've managed to heal that a bit. The procrastination, I've got some pretty good strategies around that. Uh, leaky boundaries, but this, this people-pleasing, you know, this, I come up against this a lot. And, and I would have to say, you know, really, it shows up in pretty much every time we're at the precipice of a new edge. Uh, so every last speaking gig, I gotta have my I have to have my strategies in place. Um, you know, meeting with the book agents, gotta have my strategies in place because I feel like it's just a matter of time before they find out. Still, and it's real meta up in here. I gotta tell you. <laughs> oh yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, for me, it shows mm-hmm. up a lot with perfectionism. Uh, and also leaky boundaries. But the perfectionism, here's what happens with me. So I'll have something that I want to create or maybe I'm asked to go speak at something. And so what I'll do then is I'll prepare everything. And then I start thinking, well, this was too easy. It must not be good enough. And so I start complicating everything and taking 50 times longer to do something than it should take because I didn't think it was hard enough and I didn't work hard enough. So therefore, there's something about it that it can't be good enough. So that's one of the things that I do, which is it drives me insane when I do that. And and then the leaky boundaries. Well, you know, I got to be nice. I got to be nice. I can't be a jerk now. I've got to be nice. And, you know, that, that gets me in a whole peck of trouble. So I definitely know that those are are tuned into that feeling like not being good enough, not working hard enough, not being smart enough. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. I think that, you know, the perfectionism that I, I think about this a lot, there's there's actually it's always helpful I find to be thinking about what your patterns are, your specific patterns are. So Brie, you were saying like, okay, so like when do you not actually feel it? I think, you know, we don't we don't feel all of these attributes at all times, but they can play against each other in some ways. So mm-hmm. if you think about your own procrastination or your own patterns, so say you're given, you know, in, in Teresa's example, you're given an opportunity, you're invited to speak. So a couple of things are going to happen. You're going to feel really, you know, you're going to be excited at first because you asked for this. You wanted this thing to happen. You were invited to write or speak or whatever it was. And then we tend to go into a place of fear, whether it's, um, you know, why, why, did I, why did I say I was going to do this? Uh, you know, what, what, what was I thinking? You know, there's some dread. There's some fear of failure. I would argue there's also some fear of success in there, to be certain. Yep. So then we've got some fear, we've got some anxiety, we've got some sleeplessness. So we start to, you know, avoid this, uh, try to avoid it. We either we either go down the path of uh, perfectionism where we work it, 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 or we procrastinate until, you know, until the last very second and then two things happen there. We either pull it out and then we, you know, we do what we do. We knock it out of the park or we flub it because we just didn't give ourselves enough time. And so, you know, we either, if we do that poorly, if we do a poor job delivering, whether we went down the path of procrastination or perfectionism, you know, we, the stress that we piled on top of ourselves, if that has us do poorly, then we go, okay, well, see, see, I wasn't supposed to be here. I wasn't, I wasn't worthy of this invitation. Or the other alternative, the more likely one, is we do really, really well. 
we receive praise. But then here's the really tricky bit that we really have to we have to name this for ourselves. This uh, we, feel, we feel good for like a nanosecond, but then this success we think, oh wait a minute, that was too easy. That was too easy. I really wasn't supposed to be here. I wasn't. It wasn't a, an actual. Um, this wasn't a real stretch for me. What am I doing? And we actually think that that anxiety, that self-doubt. Uh, contributed to the, the success. So we, we somehow like, believed that we had to have that anxiety and that self-doubt that had us do well. Or, you know, like, what was I doing here in the first place? Well, what a waste of my time. So there's no place that we allow ourselves to rest in that celebration and go, damn, I did it. Damn, look at that. We don't do it. We avoid it like the plague. We avoid celebration. We avoid acknowledging um, our efforts. And we are, and that's why, you know, Bree, to, to your observation, like we don't, we can't internalize it because we don't internalize it, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like there is a, you know, there's a wall that keeps you from doing so at every turn. Kind of, as you were saying, no matter what path you take, there will be a wall. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that comes up in our industry, specifically in the metaphysical industry or the sacred arts, is that many of us are fearful of being seen as charlatans and scam artists because there are, there really are some very unethical people in our industry. And, you know, Teresa and I can both tell you stories of people who have come to us and it's like you gave how much money to who for what you know i mean it, it can get really intense and so how can we overcome that and be the shining example when so many people think of for instance tarot readers or energy healers um or astrologers as you know scam artists basically so such a great question, such an important question, and I and I would I would say um, I would say it's an internal job first before it's an external job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that feels like I'm oversimplifying, but I feel like if you're, you know, there, so there's two levels of that. One is, um, one is, do you do you feel like you're a fraud? First of all, but beyond what anybody else is doing, do you feel like you're a fraud? And so this is where those 12 lies of the imposter complex show up because the very first lie is, you know, self-doubt is proof of your inadequacy. If I'm not really super confident in what it is I'm doing and how it, that must mean that I'm a fraud. So, you know, b- beyond, um, beyond the external construct first, like, do you believe that you are really powerful in what it is that you're doing and then and then the next level is um if you have any self-doubt is that colluding with whatever belief that you have about being a fraud and then right if that's true if you're feeling that then then of course the exterior construct like how the world is going to see how you believe the world's going to see you is going to just pile up onto itself so i think it's really important to 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 get really clear about how you feel about your own power and attributes and um yeah so your your own capacity first so so that's that's the first place i would go is have you look at how you feel about yourself how you feel about your industry and then you know so there's a huge thing here about comparison there's a lot of pain 
in in seeing what happens within an industry, and I'll say an industry because you know the same the same holds true in in coaching. I mean, you can imagine it's mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. same holds true. You go. It's a wild. It can be a wild, wild west out here. Um, you know, I've been I've been at this for ten years, and I've seen some pretty shady stuff. So, you know, you you go. Well, I know why this matters to me. This matters to me because of those strong values of mastery, integrity, and excellence. And so, it, it's important enough to me to stay in the game and to uh, be a model of, you know, a, a, di- a different kind of model. Hopefully, a model of possibility. Hopefully, something that people um, can look at and go, "Yep, there's there's that integrity piece that's really important to me." So, that's what I would say. First, with like having a look at your belief structure around your own uh, capacity first, and making sure that's well rooted, nice and strong, uh, because otherwise, it, it, it does become, it does feel like that house of cards that the imposter complex loves for us to dance in. Mhm. So, you know, on the other flip side of that, you know, a lot of us do come across in our industry skeptics or, you know, critics mm-hmm. that want to lump us into that category. You know, so what would be your advice for dealing with skeptics and critics? And I think a lot of us, you know, we're we get really afraid to be out there yeah. because we don't want to be lumped in with those people who are doing unethical things. And, you know, of course, we there's always going to be the skeptic in the group, the person who thinks what we're doing is hogwash, blah, blah, blah. What do we, how do we deal with this? I'm talking to the master here. Right? Like, I'm talking to the master. I mean, really, it's like, I don't know, Teresa, what do you do on the daily? Well, I tend to ignore those people because, you know, that's I, I, I like to say I'm very tone deaf to that. I, I'm very good at – that's the one thing I do have a talent for is just really, you know, if someone doesn't like it, it's like, you know, here's my theory. I'm, I'm not into football. And, and you know, so therefore – it's not my thing. I don't believe in it. I don't support it. I leave it alone, though. Hey, it's not for me. So I'm very chill about that, and it doesn't bother me. But I do know that there there are a lot of you know other like little uh, there are other people in this industry that that really do have a problem with that and feel scared. Of course, of course, of course. Of course. Mm-hmm. And I I just I really do feel uh, Teresa as I watch you navigate some of this and really truly like from 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 a from a front row perspective, I do watch the way you you particularly like really specifically are holding this industry to a much higher standard. You're also you're you're really working at keeping the conversation at a higher level. It's very intentional. It's actually really exquisite to watch because it people do right. They wanna they wanna bring you down, and this is where Brene Brown's work is really yes. beautiful in and around. You know, it's not the it's not the it's the person in the ring that matters, right? So it's like super easy for us to to respond to. To the criticism from people that are the armchair quarterbacks. I'm mixing all sorts of metaphors in here, but I think you're tracking. Um, so I just, you know, who has time for that? That's just the yeah. truth. Who has yeah. time for that? So I think it's, I think some of the things that we need to do, and this is sort of like, you know, university level kind of or college level, you know, uh, uh, mastery in terms of being able to manage. Uh, and bring some intelligence to how we deal with these with 
these biters, I think is the word you call them, but I think that, or, or, or charlatans, our job is to keep our eye on our own paper. And our job is to rock the crap out of our excellence. Our job is to become uh, so uniquely powerful and magnetic in that, that we become impervious. We just become impervious. And I know that is so much easier said than done, but this is why I'm really talking about rooting into our own capacity before we really, um, that way we don't feel so much of the barbs and the stings and the antagonism because it's, it's easy, it's cheap, it's easy to lob insults, but you know, your job is to bolster and to make sure you are surrounded by your people. Um, as opposed to just anyone, it's a, it's an ener- you know, it's an energetic force field bolstered by our brilliance and our capacity and how damn good we are at what we do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of my other strategies, and Bree, I want to hear some of your strategies too for skeptics and critics. Uh, one of my strategies is I, I, I stay busy, and staying busy. This is mm-hmm. this sounds like this the most lamest advice, but. When I'm busy, it is so easy for me to forget about those negative nellies in my life. I'm busy. Yeah. You know, that is really the truth. I don't have time for it. So when you say we don't have time, who does have time? I don't have time. And so as I stay busy with my work and taking care of my clients, it's very hard for me to even sometimes remember anybody who's thrown shade my way because I'm busy. It really keeps me in a different mindset. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm a firm believer that what you focus on tends to multiply. So I prefer to focus on my good work, mm-hmm. and that really does help a lot. What about you, Bree? How do you deal with skeptics or critics that throw shade your way? Yeah, I don't mess with people like that. I just, <laughs> I just don't mess with them. I, uh, you know, when I had a bookstore in San Francisco. I had I had it with my best girlfriend and she had worked on Wall Street. And when you work retail and when you have a retail business, you literally have people come in every day who tell you how great your business is and tell, then tell you like the five things they would like to do to change it or make it better. <laughs> so we got very, very good very quickly at saying that is a great idea and you should go do that. Uh-huh. And that's my attitude with critics. I'm like, that's a uh-huh. fabulous idea. Why don't you go do that? Uh-huh. You know, I'm very solution-oriented. I'm solution-oriented in my approach with my students, with the work that I do. So if somebody comes to me and they're like, and, and really I have been very blessed in that I have really good boundaries. And so I, yeah. don't, I don't have a lot of critics come. I really, I really don't have people come at me, and then when they do come at me, they come at me really hard, and I'm super comfortable telling people that I have no time for this conversation, no interest in having this conversation, and if they feel strongly about it, they should rock out with that yeah. away from me. Yeah. So that that's kind of my attitude. It's a it's a little harsh, but um, it has certain when you have face to face interactions with people, you you really have to develop that because it is like if you give a mouse a cookie you're going to walk into your store two days later and it will be all changed up on you. So, you know, I, I learned that on the streets and I've carried it with me into my virtual business and it has served me well. Beautiful. Well, 
you do mention here now that's interesting i want to i want to go into another little tangent here so you mentioned brie about the face-to-face thing so you know tanya what about dealing with like online critics like trolls and stuff like that who i mean there's people who do something called hate reading which i think is the most bizarre thing in the world yeah. and my daughter taught <laughs> listen to this my daughter taught me this i you learn all these things from the millennials i just love that and she was talking about hate reading i said what the heck is hate reading and i i think somebody else i had read about it but my daughter really told me that what you do is if there's somebody you really don't like, you read their work and then you criticize it and you write a bunch of nasty things on the web maybe, which I think is the weirdest thing. But, you know, there's all these people out there that do things like hate read or they want to criticize online or, you know, write mean things maybe on your Facebook page. How do you deal with online stuff that might really make you feel terrible, Tanya? What would be your advice? Okay, well, so... I think that the strategies remain the strategies. I think what you've just spoken yeah. to, Teresa, you're talking about like keeping your keep keeping focused on your work. What I also heard you say, you didn't name it as such as you keep yourself focused on your your people as well, right? You yeah. have you have a really strong network around you, and so those can be like some some boundaries. And and Bree, you've got super strong boundaries. You're like you're clear which door you're opening, which door you're going to keep closed. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Not going to leak anything out here. And so I think that regardless of whether it's in person, online, same thing applies. We are still talking about leaky boundaries. And if we allow our anything to become watery, then we are letting we're letting our good out and we're letting some bad on in. Mm. So I think it's regardless <laughs> if it's in person or if it's online, same difference. Now uh you know, I think we just I think we just need to start to recognize, you know, where our energetic leaks are. Where, you know, what 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 am I what is the purpose of me actually reading the comments on my YouTube videos? What am I like what am I gonna get out of that? What am I actually gonna be getting out of that? Am I going to be getting some some, you know, really conscious critique or am I going to be getting all kinds of crap? And where do I need that? So I think that I read a, or I listened to a Dear Sugar episode a long time ago, and there was something really powerful about how rhetorically sound is this criticism. I can't remember who they were talking to, but there, there was like one piece that really stuck with me. How rhetorically sound is this criticism? And so that's like, mm-hmm. I think that it's such a powerful thing to be thinking at. It, what is the grain of truth in this piece of criticism for me? And I, so I don't want to like ever suggest that we never, ever, ever, ever acknowledge any criticism whatsoever. We are beyond reproach, but clearly we're talking about trolls. Uh, but let's just leave a little bit of space for where criticism might actually be useful and helpful, and it might require some discernment, and it might elevate us because, hey, we're interested in excellence and mastery, right? So right. this might be important. Mm-hmm. The flip, of course, is we're dealing with trolls. Do not try to out-alpha the alpha dog. That's Amy Cuddy's. That's not mine. But mm. that really feels, you know, like don't try to out-alpha. Just, just understand that this is uh, somebody's – your version of edutainment might be <laughs> – uh, spending a lot of time on social media, somebody else, this is how they pass their time. Again, football versus something else. This is just how they spend their time, and they have zero uh, – they don't care that there's a human being that's sitting reading over there. You send them a little bit of compassion. I don't know what happened in your childhood, and I'm going to stop reading. Mwah! 
abiento, right? Like it's just, you just need to start to develop your resilience. But the other thing, of course, is go back to your tools, go back to your boundaries, go back to the people uh, that you need to have around you that remind you, that are able to reflect back your power when you forget it because that's what's going to happen. It's going to feel disempowering to uh, receive any of those comments. It just is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I want to know what is your advice and your observation around comparing oneself with one's peers? How is that part of the imposter complex or can it be part of the imposter complex and what should we know about that? Because I feel like this is a big one, especially with online businesses. I feel like this is huge. Yeah, it's huge. It is huge. So how it shows up, uh, so there's a whole section. I, so I did a TEDx talk on this years ago, and there's a whole section that I literally had to leave on the cutting room floor called, I called it at the time, Worship Wisely. And then I, I because I think that a huge part of um, where we go wrong, and I'm going to judge on this, where we go wrong is we will look to others to see how we're measuring up. We're in a tribe. We've got to figure out where, we, where we're sitting in the pack, right? So it's very normal, and um, we have to be mindful of if it's nourishing us or if it's depleting us, this action of looking around and, and comparing ourselves. So, again, uh, mm. Lauren Bacon and I did a whole huge program on this because it's massive. This comparison piece is massive and so damaging. Uh, but where it sinks up to the imposter complex is that, you know, I, I, I go into – I get an opportunity. Um, I'm invited to speak. Uh, the, the, the client, you know, the client is wanting to work with me, and then I go, why would I want to? Why would I do that when I'm not nearly as good as X, Y, or Z? Or my social media mm-hmm. presence isn't as good as X, Y, or Z. So again, it, it gets all about discernment. We track, you know, we track where we are compared to other people as a way of understanding where we belong. We look up to others as models of possibilities. And so that's actually really, it's an important thing to be aware of that people we admire actually possess qualities that or represent qualities that we ourselves possess. So it's really important to be very mindful of your teachers. So if you know people are listening and they go, oh, Bree's got it figured out. Oh my goodness, and I love that about her. Or Teresa, yeah, she's just she's got it tight. Like she knows how to handle her stuff. The, what these women are representing to you is the fact that you actually know you have the tools and what you're seeing is a physical manifestation of that which you have within you. This is a great thing. So it's, so it's beautiful to be able to look to our teachers and look to people and say, mm, yeah, I can feel the way I want to measure up to that person. So that's a beautiful thing. Where it becomes a problem is we'll move into that place of hero worship where I can only see your light and I can't see my own. This is where it becomes mm. challenging. And then the opposite side of like the complete opposite, if you looked at this like a sort of a, you know, the complete inverse would be that hate reading that you were talking about where yeah. we disdain. So the challenge here, and this is why it's such a big topic, is 
and the reason I left it on the cutting room floor, there's too much to it. The reason it feels so painful when we are feeling our own star begin to rise, we think that we are going to become the target of other people's, um, you know, we, people are going to look to us, but then we're going to, they're going to start to, you know, canonize us, and then they're going to demonize us because we've mm. seen it, and heavens to Murgatroyd, we've done it. We've seen, we've, we've, we've participated in somebody's rise and their fall, whether it was intentional or unconscious, we've all had a part, we've, you know, we've maybe picked up that magazine and went, really, she wore that? Like, there's a part of us that does it. So we feel like what happens if I go onto that magazine, people are going to start to uh, hate on me, throw shade my way, right? So this is this actually, this um, we shy away from it because we've done it. Do you mm-hmm. see? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so we recognize it. Yeah. So we recognize it and then we go, okay, well, let me just, let me calibrate what I believe will be true about my success. If I believe that the only way for me to be successful is to behave in a way that maybe somebody I used to admire, you know, they, they zigged when I wanted them to zag, get, you know, get clear about how you're going to do it a little bit differently. Just recognize that you're going to need some of the, that boundary support. You're going to need those good people around you on your ascension as well, because there will be people who are going to be wanting to topple you. That's why your people being surrounded by your people is so important. I totally agree, and I have to say my mastermind that I do, I do with Bree and I do with Joanna Paul Colbert, you know, mm-hmm. they're my sounding boards and they're my support system, and getting my book out there, you know, was a very nerve-wracking thing, sure. as you can imagine, and I know that having those guys and my husband around me, anytime I was feeling nervous about that, um, you know, I really took that advice to heart about having that support, yeah. you know, Tanya, it meant the world. It made a huge difference in my ability to take my little introvert self out there and be comfortable, even in an uncomfortable situation. So it's very true. You need to have your supporters. Yeah, absolutely. And so when the comparison shows up, we go, okay, well, uh, you know, I, I I look at this person and I think that, gosh, she's got it all figured out. Um, but then we also notice this edge that wants to come in when we when we hand our power over to that person, right? Mm-hmm. That's the painful mm-hmm. part where we hand that right over. So having our people around us go, ba 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 yeah. Yes, respect the work, respect her work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do not canonize a sister. Don't do it. Yeah. Just like don't project onto her. She's a human being, human being, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. dirty laundry mm-hmm. and stuff under her nails, right? Like all, and like can't we just, can we hold lots of space for that, whether we are comparing ourselves to others or, or hey, having people's projections onto us, it's painful yeah. both ways. Yeah, both ways are very yeah. painful. Yeah. So, you know, I think, what, what were you going to say, Bree? Oh, yeah, I think, well, I was just going to say, I think that that point about, you know, somebody else's light shining so brightly that you forget your own, I think, I'm such a big believer in that, and I always tell my students that. I'm like, you know, I'm not teaching you anything, really. This is just, We're just remembering what's already there. But I think that this is also where imitation and copycat actions yep. come into play, right? I always just, I, you know, Teresa, we've, we've dealt with your biter for all of our 
professional lives together and so <laughs> I was you know I think that wow. that's that's where a lot of that imitation comes in too because you really forget like wait I have yes I have a very unique voice I have so much that's original to me but I forget about it because I'm blinded by the awesome of this other person so I just well, and it's such a new, really I mean, can we, can we also just say, this is new, like, not the, not the yeah. tendency to, but this, like, how we're, how we're developing our businesses, this is new. There are very few blueprints, which is a good thing, but there are very few. So we, you know, if you think about much more classical, more classical, uh, you know, you go to law school, for instance, and here's how you do law, and you follow it exactly like this. And you don't deviate, and we somehow, you know, we have this kind of conditioning, or, or, and it's like this is this is how you do it. So you see somebody doing it, and you go, oh, I'm supposed to do it exactly like that. Well, it's a catastrophe when that happens. So, you know, the the moment you feel that you lose yourself in in, in somebody else's process. You know, we have to, we have teachers. Again, I'm talking about the imposter complex. This is not my concept. This is, you know, this is mm-hmm. well documented. And, but I, I have to come at this from my place, my perspective, in the way that I understand it. Your people, you know, my people want me to, me to talk about it in my way, not in Pauline Clance's way, you know. Um, so it, you, it's, we can, we can take the learnings, obviously, because this is how we learn. This is how professions are, are born and maintained. Uh, but we have to bring our own quality to it. And I just feel, you know, and I know that this is deeply personal for, for you guys, but like, gosh, where do, where do, trying to find some compassion for that person who's so lost and so, uh, disassociated from themselves that they have no understanding of what would make them magnetic or what would make them, uh, yeah, radiant. It's painful, right? Like, ugh, awful. Yeah. 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 So, you know, on on that note then, let's let's go and talk about standing in your authority because I think, you know, for people who do feel that they have to copy a peer or something like that, they're obvious, obviously not standing you know, in their power. So if you could explain what does it mean to stand in your authority and how that can be done, um, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So I, I'm, I actually have to stand up for this. How am I going to talk about this? Like sledging in my chair. Uh, you know, I, I, it's, a, it's a process. I mean, I'd love to just say, just, you know, here, here, in two words, just own it, right? Like the own, own what you own, what you have. But of course, the thing is, we haven't named it for ourselves. We often don't know what the it is that we are supposed to name. And you know, as much as I talk about your people and it's how how deeply important it is, if we are still struggling with the imposter complex on a fundamental level, we can't actually internalize all of those. You're so great. Um, you're, how can you feel self-doubt? You're so incredible. You're so amazing, right? So, like, it's really hard to take that in. So, it's a definitely it's a process. But the you know the where I always start is you need to understand 
you know, I'm a coach, right? So you need to understand what makes you tick. You need to understand your brand of joy. You need to understand the things that you, your how and all you do at your most magnificent, at your most magnetic, at your most alive. So for me, what I, I experience joy as joy, okay? So for me to feel joy, I need to feel connection, I need to feel gratitude, mm-hmm. and I need to feel generosity. So, Teresa, you've done some of this work. Would you share with us what you landed on as your brand of what I would call joy? What is, what is your word for um, your experience of what I call joy? Well, for me, joy, uh, I need to feel optimistic. Mm-hmm. That's really important. I need to feel also safe. And I know that sounds like mm-hmm. it's the antithesis or the, maybe the opposite of joy, but I need to feel really safe and secure. Um, I need to feel optimistic. I need to feel respected. Yeah. When I have those feelings, I feel so good. That allows me to feel powerful in everything that I do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so mm. from there, that's like the deep, like breathe. That's that's for for truth. That's a deep rooting. So, how, how is she able to sign book deals when she's operating from plant or her, her brand of joy? How like how is she able to to face that massive audience when she's deeply rooted in that brand of joy? So that's a really first step is understanding what that is for you, and then the thing that you want to stand. And gosh, that's the really amorphous thing. So once we've nailed the brand of joy really deciding what is the role that we want to stand and what the role is that we want to own our authority in. So is it coach? Is it speaker? Is it, you know, like what is, you know, is it, is it star reader? Is like, what is the thing that is really, really important to you, whether you name it externally or not, we have to get clear on what it is rather than this, again, amorphous sense of I can stand in my authority, but I don't know what that actually, I don't have the tension with which to work. I don't know what that, what the actual articulation of that is, right? It's really about being clear. Does that, mm-hmm. is that making sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. So, okay, cool. so I hear, because, because I haven't done the program, so this is actually good. One of us has and one of us hasn't. Mm-hmm. So, Two-step two step process. The first is what you call finding your brand of okay. joy. So these are, like, the, these are the feelings, the sensations that have to be there. You know, I'm thinking of, like, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's, like, bottom it has to be there, food, water, shelter, spiritual mm-hmm. research, you know, respect, safety, optimism. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that point, you, you drill down and you, and you get very clear on what the specific role is. Yeah, that you are, that you're filling, that you're standing within, that you've got the spotlight on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so here's what I want to say about the brand of joy. It's deceptively powerful because it's actually not just what you're going to, how you're going to stand in your authority. It's going to how, it's how you drive, how you are in relationship with your partner, how mm-hmm. you negotiate that deal. Like it's everything, how you, it's how you do everything at your very best will be tethered by optimism and safety and respect, right? Like, so it's just, it's yeah. everything. So the, the, the role that you want to that you'll be standing in the the authority that you're standing it's it's an evolution so this might be the role for now because once you rock mm-hmm. this out trust me there will be you know there will be a new edge of resistance that's going to show up so this is just you're like this is how you keep coming back to this time and time again. Yeah. So you root into the the role, the thing that you want to own your authority in, and then you got to be like you got to meet the critics. You got to figure out 
why that you have so much resistance to this what what have you colluded with what it means to be that star reader like what who you know why is this why has this been such a problem why have you kept it at arm's length for such a long time so meeting the critics that's the next place to go what are the realistic objections like what 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 are the inner critics here to tell you what are they terrified of on your behalf have to get really clear about that Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So this is perfect yep. then. Can can you give us some strategies for making peace with those inner critics and yeah. you know facing the imposter complex head on so that we can stand out and be the leaders that we are meant to be. So okay. So I'll say this that. In, there's the step into your world process, but then the three strategies, and, and they're, they're both connected, deeply connected. The imposter complex wants to keep us alone. It, wants to, it has three objectives. It wants to keep us alone. It wants to keep us doubting our capacity, and it wants to keep us out of action. Okay? So by keeping us out of action, this is where we go ahead and we say, fine, fine. Go ahead. You want to keep me out of action? Here's what. Let, let's, let's really get granular about all of the reasons you don't think that I should go forward. You think it is deeply unsafe for me to uh, say yes to the book deal or say yes to the, Let's just go ahead and meet the critics. So that's what we're really looking at. What are the, the yeah buts and you're not ready yet? So this is where we actually get very specific about what the inner critics are telling us. And then also the realistic objections as well as those actual critics in our life. So this is where we get clear about is there anything that's useful from the criticism that I'm receiving from people around me or are they – are they bringing up their own stuff? Are they really just fearful of my success because they think that it means that I'm going to leave them in the dust, right? So are we dealing with actual critics? Are we dealing with inner critics? Are we dealing with realistic projections? And each, we would have to deal with each one separately. But at the bottom of it, at the bottom of every bit of criticism, whether it's internal or external, there might be a grain of truth. So our job is to go, what am I really afraid of? Oh, I'm afraid of failing. Um, okay, and then if I fail, then what happens? And then what happens? And then what happens? And then what happens? And we get to the very, 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 very bottom of that fear. Often we find that we're afraid that we're going to be alone. Mm. <laughs> Light stuff, right? I'm sorry, it should not. So we're afraid we're going to be alone. So we go, okay, well... Yeah, all right, so connection is obviously really, really, really important to me. So how do I, I, I can take that and go, all right, I got that. I can hang on to that. I can recognize that safety is important to me because I don't want to be alone. So I'm going to make sure that I, when I, when I sign that book deal, I'm going to activate my success in such a way that I continue to honor my value of connection. Mm-hmm. Got it. Right? So that's just all we, so it's like, okay, I got that. That's at the root of my fear, but I have to look at the fears first before I can just try to, you know, we do this thing like we want to, you know, we want to just like blow them out of the water, but we're far more discerning, we're far more sophisticated than that, so we really have to look at what the base of of those fears are. And then again, you know, with the actual critics in our life, what is the thing, what is the tiny kernel of truth that might be useful for us to 
you know, with some sophistication and discernment, be able to pull out and go, oh, okay, actually this is really good insight for me because of my values of excellence and mastery. This is going to help me along the way. Great, I can release the other 98%. So again, it's just some lots of awareness. And then, you know, with the realistic projections, there are holes, there are gaps that we need to fill. So we just need to get clear. All right, so, um, you know, if, if I wanted to be a star reader, what are my beliefs about how I, how that's not going to be true for me? Maybe I don't feel like I have enough hours. Is that true? Or is it actually that I don't feel like I've had the wild um, – uh, let me see what what would be what would be useful here. What, why would somebody not think that they were like? What would be an actual reason? Well, that somebody I can tell you a real a real yes, Tyler Teresa. I know what you're going to say. Go for well, it. In tarot work, everyone's afraid they're going to be wrong. That they're going to give a wrong reading, and that inhibits a lot of people uh-huh. from doing this work. I don't want to be wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And then what happens if you're wrong? It's not the end of the world. Right. We're human. I see that. I, that I don't have a problem with because, yes. you know, you're human. It's like the weatherman. The weatherman's going to go and make his predictions. Yes. He's going to be wrong sometimes. It happens. Right. 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 So at the bottom of that, but it's the person. Like, so you got yes. that. Like, you got that. But if the person is still struggling, yeah, but I really don't want to be wrong. Yeah. Like, I really don't want to be wrong. Well, what if you're wrong? Well, what if you're wrong? Well, what if you're wrong? Well, then somebody's going to make a bad decision based on what I said, and their life's going to collapse and that's going to be on me and and right. and 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 at the bottom of that i'm alone right yeah so like at the bottom that's at the bottom of it so go okay all right so cool got it yes i want to make sure that i do my due diligence i want to make sure that at the bottom that i'm not going to end up being alone so i so we just we have to reverse engineer how we go about that if that is a huge fear for somebody there's all sorts of ways of course that that you can um calibrate what the reading is going to be like what is the purpose of this reading it's guiding it's it there is you know mm-hmm. the weatherman you know like there's all sorts of different language that you can use around it um but that what that person's really afraid of isn't being wrong it's being alone right mm-hmm. so getting clear about that so so important Bree, right that on. that cool is there a question love it Okay, cool. So, Bree, yes, did you think I mean, that's yeah. what I was going to say, or did you think I was going to say something else? Of course I want to see. <laughs> I, you know, I thought, well, no, being wrong was a really, really good answer. I think that another big one for our people is I'm introverted. What does yeah. it mean to be a star reader because I'm an introvert? Like, introvert is this fixed category that has no nuance in it whatsoever, which, of right. course, we all know is not true, but still, you know, like, but I'm shy and I'm spiritual and what does it mean like that I would be a star reader if I'm a shy spiritual person and how could that ever happen? So, but yeah, I liked your answer too. I thought that was Okay, but here's what I think though about that person is like, I want, like if they've named star reader, they, mm-hmm. they're, they're halfway there. That's the point of naming it, right? It's like, mm-hmm. right? That in, that's, that's, truly introverted person would be like, I, I just want to feel like a competent reader. But that person saying, right. I want to be a star reader, like, oh, right? There's this, there's such an aliveness. There's a, there's a deep desire that they haven't dared name before. So why have they not dared name that before? It's too big. It's, you know, how will people, you know, I'll be too big for my bridges. People are going to want to tear me down, so on and so forth. So at the bottom of that, oh, that's probably, again, you know, I'm going to be disconnected. 
So how do you, mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. decide that, damn it, it actually is super aligned with my brand of joy, this is the thing that I have deeply wanted to be tapped into my entire life, I'm going to do it, you know, yeah. um, it, 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 it's just the the recognition that this is the desire, the naming of the desire, oh, we know what happens then, so, but we got to be discerning. we got to go, fine, here are the reasons you have kept yourself from doing it because you're a smart cookie, and now you can see why this has felt so big and so scary, and now that we've named it, now you can move on. And now we go into the place where we come up against the imposter complex once again, and it has said, oh, but you, you – you don't have the capacity, you don't have the chops, right? This is where we go into the, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I got this. Here is everything that I have ever done and healed and achieved. And, right, it's like everything. We look and we root into proof positive. Not just specific to us as star readers, though, of course, we're going to look back at those testimonials, those sweet tweets, those, those, you remember when you, when you said that one thing and it, ch- it changed my life. We go back to those. But we have to do, a, again, an inside job before we do an outside job. So we have to actually look for ourselves to, to recognize all of the places that we can internalize our our capacity, our talents, our skills, where we can see it for ourselves before we start looking for external evidence. Because, you know, once again, if we're not bolstered from the inside, the you know, we'll, we're like Teflon. We can't we can't receive the acknowledgments. Those those tweets, those testimonials, those reference letters don't mean anything to us if we're not bolstered from the inside. So that's the, that's the next step is to really look at. Um, all that we've done because, and and here's what I want to say about this, we make the mistake of thinking in this step that what we're trying to do is only specific to the role that we're wanting to step into, the authority that we're wanting to own. It's actually not. What we're really looking to do here is to tone our muscle memory for every time we faced down this next step of expansion and re- remember that, that you know the party is on the other side of the resistance so you know like that you know that grade 5 play that we stepped onto the stage for um saying yes to that date you know every time we felt this this moment of will it fly can i do i have the capacity that's what we're trying to remember on a cellular level here that's so brilliant and beautiful beautiful we're coming we're coming near the end um tanya could you tell people about the different services you offer and how it might help our fellow sacred artists and mystics who are ready to step up into the next level in their business how can you help them where can they find you oh my goodness Oh my gosh, I don't want to be done. I don't want to leave. Um, TanyaGeisler.com <laughs> is where you can find my writings and uh, my musings on this very thing. Uh, I have a four video information um, video series on the imposter complex. It takes you through the 12 lies that we certainly didn't get to uh, and these the strategies that I'm speaking to right now. Um, and then, you know, if that continues to tickle your fancy, then I have the Step Into Your Star and World Playbook, which is a self-directed 11-week program. Um, and then, of course, I offer one-on-one coaching. Um, and I just really you know, so want the, 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 the final piece 
that I want you to know, and we've already nailed it a couple of times around, as the imposter complex wants you to feel isolated and alone, gather your people. That's the third strategy. And this is what Teresa and Bree, you've created right here, right now, in this wanting to encircle your community with good information, good conversations. I mean, I have goosebumps just feeling into how you're already part of a really beautiful community of people who want you to succeed. It's just gorgeous. Well, we are just so tickled pink that you were able to join us tonight. This has been such a juicy conversation, Tanya. Mm, thank you. It's been my joy. So, Bree, what is yeah. your biggest takeaway from this episode? Uh, I loved every part of it. I really loved it. But I think what I, since I'm relatively new to your work, Tanya, which I love, 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 um, <laughs> I think that it's a really critical observation that if you feel the imposter complex, that's actually a good sign. That means that there is a lot of juice there, right? And there's a lot of light there. And so that that is actually not something because, you know, this is something that happens in our industry too, right? There's the whole, uh, I call it high priestess syndrome where it's like, I've got everything together. It's always together and I'm totally together. And I think that being able to say, hey, no, I do feel this way, and actually that's a good thing. That can lead to some really awesome places. It's huge. So I love that. What about you, Teresa? You're more familiar with this work. What really rocked out for you tonight? Well, for me, because I've done some work with Tanya, uh, you know, the whole inside job before you do the outside job I think is just such a critical thing. And one of the things that I had discovered through uh, some of the work, that I had some really deep-seated weird things that I needed to bring out and put it out into the light of day so I could exercise those demons. Mm -hmm. You know, instead of like worrying about, oh my God, you know, here's my book coming out, uh, I realized there were other things going on. And so the inside job I think is so, so, so important. Instead of looking at critics, skeptics, what other people think or any of that, we have to really do that inner, inner, inner stuff, and I had to do a lot around it. So, yeah, that's my big thing. Huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank I love you. it. So towards the end of each episode, we each like to share a few fun tidbits, like the books that we've been reading lately or blogs that we're obsessed with or favorite songs or TV shows, food, lots of food, things like that, you know. Just some fun stuff that we think you, our beautiful listeners, our community that we so want to see succeed, and we know that you are, might enjoy discovering as well. Sometimes we share business-related recommendations, sometimes not. You know, you can't just talk about business 24-7. We don't do that. So, Teresa, what is something that you've been into lately? What are you loving? I've been watching, and of course, unfortunately, lately I've had to go to bed early, so I haven't been able to always see the last part of it, but I've been watching a show called Taboo with Tom Hardy, who I have the hots for. Mm. He is amazing. He's got the most beautiful lips I've ever seen on a man, I'm telling you. But anyhow, it's a really, really, it's a dark, creepy riveting show and uh it's got some witchy stuff in there and voodoo and i think it's really cool so that's my thing uh, <laughs> and Bri and tanya i want to hear what you guys what are the new 
Bree, what are you into? Tanya, both you guys. Tanya, go. Tanya. Okay, I the here's so everything old is new again. Okay, so I so but oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed to say this, but it is what it is. We are binge watching Friends because my 12 year old awesome. is like it. So we're like on episode two, and it's it is shocking to me how I remember so much, like so much from, you know, 20 years ago. Anyway, so we, yeah, we're, we're absolutely binge watching it. And it's just this hilarious, um, yeah, my 12 year old wants to watch it and we're just, she's all snuggled up. And after every episode, she's like, do people, do people actually talk like that? And they really, oh my gosh, it feels hilarious. <laughs> and it's so ancient. So that's what's taking up my life right now. It's friends, for goodness sake. <laughs> I love it. And Bree, what about you? What's your new thing? What's your new thing, lady? Okay, my new thing, this is, I think this is old, but this is like within, this is like the cool classical music genre, which is a thing, you guys, cool classical music, it is. And there is a violinist, and her name is Angélie Dubou, and you can find her on Spotify. And she just has gorgeous violin music, and it's got a really good clip and pace. She's influenced by Philip Glass, if you've seen, like, the piano. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, like, that kind of music. And it's great for writing. I find that it's really Ooh. awesome for writing. So mm. I am, like, I am just, like, eating up her catalog right now. So that is what I'm into. Not a TV show this time around, but the, maybe next time. You never know. <laughs> I don't know. We were going to be highbrow. Oh, dear. Well, I, I'm not very highbrow. As you can, <laughs> as you can see, my taste is. I, I pull off a highbrow. <laughs> yeah, we, well, Bree and I have. You know, the really funny thing is, I have to tell you this, Tanya. So Bree and I, Bree loves some pretty highbrow stuff, and I love some pretty lowbrow stuff. And one day, <laughs> Bree was talking about Medea, and I thought she was talking about Tyler Perry's Medea. <laughs> oh. And I was like. I was like, yeah, that was really good. And I was like, wait, Tyler Perry, who is Tyler Perry? Okay, I know who Tyler I was like, no, Teresa, that's not what I'm talking about. Oh, my God. That is beautiful. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it beautiful. Works. It works. It works. It so, works. So well. <laughs> your people. Your people. I love it. That's right. That's right. So, last but not least, as always, we have a few announcements. Teresa, is there anything that you want our listeners to know about what's happening in your business world? Upcoming classes, new projects, things like that? Absolutely. I am going to be back on the road again starting next month to promote the tarot coloring book. I'm going to be heading to New Mexico. Now, you know, for me, this is big to go to go somewhere warm and somewhere south. It, it takes a lot to, to get me down there, but I've got a wonderful <laughs> old friend I haven't seen in years, and they've got a great tarot community down in New Mexico. So I'm going to be teaching a class on February 18th at the Source for Creating Sacredness in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then I'm going to be heading in March to the Nutman in Hubertus, Wisconsin. Now, the Nutman is this shop that is so fantastic. You know, if you come here, you have to go. They have all these cool stacks, all kinds of cool mystical things. And the owners, Jill and Frank Campana, are two of the warmest, most kindest, just groovy people. So I'm super excited about that. And I'm going to be going to Toronto in June. You know, so I've got a whole bunch of other things coming up. Uh, and people can find that all on my website. They can go to thetarolady.com and hit on Coloring Book and go down to the book tour. You know, I've got a, a, a bunch of uh, 
at different places I'm going to be hitting, but those are the, the ones that are closest. So what about you, Bree? Anything new coming up that people need to know about? And Tanya, we want to know if there's anything you got going on yeah. too. So you're gonna you're gonna yeah. like let us know. Yep. All right, Bree. Absolutely. So the big the big thing that's going on is I just opened the doors for my Sacred Arts Sojourn in Santa Fe happening this August. I opened the doors last. Wednesday. The name of it is A Thousand Magics, and it is already more than halfway sold out, which is wow, crazy and awesome. And I am just so excited. And even though it's August, you know, and we're only in January, I just can't wait. So that is that's the big thing that's going on. I'm wrapping up a class that I've been teaching on folk magic and uh, folk traditions, and I may teach that again. But the big one is A Thousand Magics, the Sacred Arts. Sojourn. I'm pretty pumped about it. I'm pretty pumped about seeing all these ladies. Tanya, what about you? What's happening? Oh, that's so exciting. I'm headed to Mexico in two or three weeks' time to speak at Jen Loudon's writing retreat in Sayulita. So I'm very wow. excited about that. Um, oh, I have, yeah, I've got uh, just, we've just started in with my uh, seven-year starring role academy, which is nine months long. So that's closed until November, but we've got, um, but I will be having a, be hosting a gala here in Toronto in September. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, but more immediately, I'm going to have a free six-episode webinar series all about these attributes of the imposter complex, the perfectionism, the procrastination, the leaky boundaries. So, mm. so stay tuned for that. So I'm really excited about that. It's called it's called Untying the Binds of the Imposter Complex is the series. So I'm really excited about that. I love it. And for everybody who is listening, I am going to tell you, get on Tanya's newsletter. It is one of the newsletters that I gobble up. I look forward to it. It's always got wisdom brilliance just so much so much great stuff so get to her site tanyageisler.com get on that newsletter sign up for her programs it's going to really help you it's mm. totally helped me thank you thank you mm. thank you deep oh, really yeah. appreciate that but <gasps> i love getting yes our show next month you're gonna say yep i'm on it so, you guys, we're back. We're back. It's 2017. Yay! Our show next month occurs on February 22nd at 8 p.m. Central Time, like always. And we are bringing back Dr. Michelle Mazur, the author of Speak Up for Your Business. And she is going to talk to us about how to craft the perfect speech or presentation, which is perfect because now you know about the imposter complex. And so you're going to start finding ways to get your work out there and speak, and Dr. Mazur is going to help us craft those speeches so that they really rock. So y'all don't want to miss it. Please, please be there. We love it when you show up, and you always do. We appreciate that. And before we do sign off, a happy reminder, if you love Talking Shop, uh, don't forget that you can listen to all of the previous shows for free by visiting the Talking Shop archives. You can go to thetarolady.com and click on the tab called Free Resources, and you hop on down to Podcasts, and you'll find Talking Shop, and you'll find everything that you need there. And I also want to remind you, if you are listening to this podcast and you like it, please give us a good review on iTunes because that is going to help more people to find their way to this podcast. And Bree, where can they find these archives on your site? I made it so easy. Same deal, everyone. Go to briannasafi.com, click on free resources, and you'll find both the 
next Talking Shop episode and all of the archives right there. All right, folks, now that's a wrap. We want to make sure Tanya can get to bed, and i got to get to bed, and <laughs> Bree, you have to get to bed, and our <laughs> listeners do. So uh, please join us again uh, next month for another round of Talking Shop. And again, until then, you can find me, Teresa, at thetarolady.com. And Bree, where can they find you? You all can find me at briannasoffney.com. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. It was so great to have you here tonight. Keep taking action to build the mystical business of your dreams. We know that you will. And remember to stay on your grind and make it a really great month. Love y'all. Bye. Thank you, Tanya. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.